soloist, orchestra, praise band. Gives us a little taste of heaven, doesn't it? Wow. What's heaven going to be like? If we weren't changed, we'd explode. We'd go, you know. What a great thing. Glad for those of you that can join us on our simulcast somewhere at the coast, somewhere in the mountains. But wherever you are, we're glad you're here today. Thank you for worshiping with us today. thought we'd start today just with a word of prayer for the many people that uh, are reeling from some of the craziness from yesterday. So if you'll bow your head just to pray with me. Heavenly Father, we know that in a world where many of the educational systems have cast you aside, governments cast you aside, families, scholars, there is no other result when you're not in the center of someone's life than craziness that we see. But God, in the midst of all of that, we know that you're able to take things and use them. And I pray, God, for all those believers in those cities that are ministering to those dear families, many of them waking up not even knowing what happened today, that you'd bring hope through Jesus Christ. God, every person on earth will meet an end some way, somewhere. And God, the best news in the world is leaving here with you with our sins forgiven. And I would pray, Lord God, in the midst of all of this, perhaps there can be an awakening. Why is this? What are the answers? For those who have you, we have hope. We have security. And even if an earthly family dissolves, we have the family of believers. But God, our world is living in a place where many don't have security. They have no hope. They have no reason to live. And so we see what happens when you are removed or hope is removed, when you are removed and peace is removed, when you are removed and security is removed. And I pray, God, for these families, brothers, sisters, parents, grandparents, children in these cities, that you would minister to them as only you can to the special needs of their heart. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. Today, as we come, we're looking at celebrating the Lord's Supper. Please stay right here. This is a message for every person in this room and those listening out there. This is, well, something that's profoundly true found in the Word of God. One of two ordinances God commanded us to follow until he comes back. But there's a whole lot here. Thank you for staying with us. I want to start out today in verse 23 of 1 Corinthians chapter 11, 23 and 24. For I received from the Lord, but I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. There's some significant things that come from this. First of all, Paul says, I received this from the Lord. I also passed it on to you. Listen, the dilemma of human frailty, the dilemma of minds that know about Christ and are connected to him, but can sometimes forget. The people, the believers at Corinth, the church at Corinth, began to forget. They'd already passed this on to you, but they made a mockery of the Lord's Supper. They made a mockery of it. So Paul has to write again, remind them, I received this of the Lord, and I already passed it on to you, but you haven't gotten it right. And so he's pointing this out to them. 
there's some problems here. You've made it about you. And today we'll talk about at the close of this message what happens when we are devoid of emotion. Because there'll be people today that go through the motion devoid of the emotion that is needed today when we truly reflect on what Jesus has done for us. Well, the Word of God says Paul received it. He said on the night he was betrayed. On the night he was betrayed, it looked like the devil himself had won. Jesus was betrayed. They came to get him. They chose Barabbas instead of Jesus. They crucified him. The devil thought he had won. The devil didn't think too clearly that day, did he? Because what happened was Jesus defeated death. I've often wondered, did the devil just know Jesus won't go through with this? Look at humanity. They betray me every day. They lie to me every day. They hurt, they steal, they kill. Jesus will not go through this. When he looks at the cost of the cross, he'll say, I'm not going to do this. I've changed my mind. Counting on God himself to do that. But you know what? God didn't. The word of God says that while we're yet sinners, God proved his love for us. And while we're yet sinners, Christ died for us. That's the most beautiful story ever written, ever done, ever will be. It's the most wonderful thing to understand how much God, friend, loves you and loves me and paid the ultimate price. Why are we yet sinners? He hung there and died on a cross for our sins, did for us what we couldn't do for ourselves. Heaven is going to be a perfect place, and God requires perfection to enter into heaven. Otherwise, we'll have something like the earth, which is not good, by the way, if you ever tasted some of that. There's fallenness down here. But heaven will be a perfect place. And in that place, you must be given a righteousness, not of your own, but by Christ and what he has done on the cross. He bled and died, paid for our sins, rose three days later, took my punishment and your punishment, suffered our hell. Many people focus on the physical part of Jesus' death, and it's awful. And we'll do that at the end of the service. But the part where Jesus said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? is when that relationship of God as revealed in Father, Son, and Spirit was broken for that moment in time when the sins of the world were heaped upon him. When Jesus said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He was feeling the hell of separation from the Father. And you see hell out of all, all else that hell is. It's separation from God forever. Separation from his love, separation from his security, and a place of torment. God doesn't want that, and that's why his love brought him to the cross. But dear friend, if you're listening today, don't reject that. Receive it today. Just this couple of days ago, my brother-in-law was driving in his truck back to the, where he worked. Third person waiting in line for the light to change. Goes on through, normal business. Someone must have been doing something other than driving because around 45 miles an hour hit into his truck. Fortunately, it was the passenger side. He's shaken up and he's sore. But if it was the other side, might be saying, why is someone else speaking today? Been down for a service. Get it right today. You may not know about, in fact, the Bible says we don't know about tomorrow. Receive what Jesus Christ has already done for you. Receive it and believe in him. This Passover uh, supper, this last supper, tells us about what he did. You see, the Word of God says that Jesus took the elements and began to give thanks. Many people find it kind of weird 
to see people praying in a restaurant or at home saying, why are you doing that? You, you bought the food. You went to the store. You used your gas, your money to get it. Why are you giving thanks to God? Dear friend, we give thanks to God, first of all, because Jesus modeled it and said when he had given thanks, well, that was at the Passover. Is there other places where Jesus did it? Yes, look at the passage in Matthew 14, 19. And he directed the people to sit down on the grass, taking five loaves and two fish, and looking up to heaven, he gave thanks and broke the loaves. Then he uh, gave them to the disciples, and the disciples gave them to the people. Jesus gave thanks before a meal, and we do also. We thank God that we can have it, that he gave us the ability, the talent, the resources to get it, and that we have food to sustain us that day to serve him. That's why we do it. And we acknowledge him in doing that. Jesus did it. We need to do it. So, young person, if your parents pray in a restaurant, you might feel maybe embarrassed or ashamed. Don't. Do what is right. Listen, church. Do the truth. Let the consequences that God has follow. Do what is true. Do what is right. Let the consequences come after that, whatever they are. But the first and foremost thing is a lot of times people will concentrate on the consequence. Do the truth first. God will handle the consequences. Praise God for that. Now, it says he broke and said, this is my body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the Hebraic mind, the body represented everything, the body, soul, and spirit, all that Jesus was about, his mission, everything. This is my body which is for you. And he was going to give us a very visible sign of just how much he loved us in that body. God says that this bread that Jesus transformed from the Passover, where the bread did not have yeast in it, so it's that flat bread. Many times people wonder why they serve that flat, tasteless bread. Oh, it's like um, dried up paste when you're pasting something. <laughs> but it's not. Well, almost like it, right? But there's no yeast in it. It's unleavened bread. And the symbol when they celebrate the Passover is God said, don't put any yeast in that because yeast in this particular case is a typology of sin. And you put in a little and it affects the whole loaf. And he was telling the people, when you go to the promised land, you are not to take any of the sinful practices, any of the pagan practices, any of the false gods with you. Sweep it on out. None. No leaven, no yeast. And so that symbolized that we're to go into the promised land with clean hearts, dedicated to God, nothing in it that will make a big thing out of sin, period. And he told them to do this in remembrance of him. Now, we'll talk about that in a little bit. Before we do, he said, which is for you? This is my body, which is for you. Today, you have to determine that. You have to. You see, whoever you honor, whoever you serve, will determine your future. Today, if you're honoring and serving God, it will determine your future. But you must first come forward to say, God, my, that was for me. I have, I'm personalizing that, God. Thank you for doing that for me. Thank you that you took my place. You died for my sins on the cross. You see, biblical Christianity is unlike any other worldview. Every other worldview has some kind of a claim where it's us plus God or just all of us or just absorption into the universe. God's plan of salvation says, I did it all for you. And I expect that if you're going to get forgiveness of sins and have eternal life, you have to come my way, not Joe's way, not your way, but his way. No one loved you, friend, like Jesus did. And he came and died for those sins. He paid the price. 
physical death and the second death, separation from the Father, so that we wouldn't have to. All bodies will die one day, the first death, unless we're raptured out of here, which would be fine with me. But the second death is separation from God forever in a place called hell. I know that many people have a struggle with that, don't believe in that, don't understand that, have all kinds of questions. Dear friend, believe and let God answer the questions for you. You've got to come to him on his terms. And if you like how the earth is and feel, well, no, we just, if we legislate enough, we'll have a good earth. If we just let governments take over, let's look at the experiment of governments all through history. See how well we've all done. We have tried every kind of philosophy there is. And look what happens. When you see God taken out of a picture, listen, it'll never be a perfect place until heaven. But I can tell you there were some times that were way, way better. We have stripped away anything that can stand for biblical truth, I think, in a lot of the society that we have. We've stripped away God as creator. We've stripped away God as the true and living God of the Bible as the only Savior and become so pluralistic that everyone's value, no matter what you think, is just of equal, equal truth. That's not what the Bible says, friend, with all due respect. I'd be a hypocrite to tell you otherwise. It says there's one way, and it's through Jesus. And you can fight it. You can look at it. You can try and find other ways that make more intellectual sense to you. But I would say this, the Word of God says, the gospel is foolishness to them who are perishing because we can become so smart, too smart for God, we find our own way. And our higher institutions oftentimes teach of the godless future. You're going to save the earth. You're your own God. And dear friend, you know what I've found about people? People make lousy gods. Look at it. But the God of heaven can change me and can change you, and he's doing it every day. He wants to change more and more people. Come to him. He can change us from the inside out. Bring up that next passage, please. The word of God says in 1 Corinthians eleven twenty-five. in the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, this cup is a new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. And so we have the cup, which represented in the Passover, The cup represented the blood, this cup of wine, the blood that was smeared on the doorpost and a little. When the the death angel saw that there, he passed by their house. It was the blood, listen carefully, the blood of the lamb without blemish that was slain applied to the the entrance to the house that saved them. The word of God, John, it talks about John the Baptist seeing Jesus and says, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. When you apply the blood, the sacrifice Christ made for you on the cross and his death, burial, and his resurrection, the death angel will also pass by you. You will pass from death to life, period. There's something called eternal life. There's something called eternal death. Eternal death is eternal separation from God. And so the cup represented this. They knew that when they drank it, yes, God saved us. We, look at this. Look what happened. We would slay this innocent lamb, this lamb without blemish, and put the blood. It was the blood of the lamb that saved us. And we're saved the same way today. It's the blood of the lamb of God 
that saves us. And it's a new covenant. A new covenant is just the old covenant. They had sacrifice after sacrifice after sacrifice, repetition, repetition, repetition. In the new covenant, it's once for all. He changed the Passover into something incredibly different. The new covenant, Jesus died once for all. Period. And so we celebrate that again here today. And churches around the world for thousands of years have done that, last couple of thousand years. It's a new covenant. Old covenant being repetition, the new covenant is not. It's once for all. The old covenant took them from Egypt to Canaan. The new covenant takes you from earth to heaven. It's a great thing that God has provided for us. And today we celebrate that just as the Jews were called into remembrance of this, to remember the Passover, to taste those bitter herbs, remember the bitterness of Egypt, to see that bread that the leaven was taken out of to say, no, we're not going to take any sin with us and, and ritual and other things that took us away from God. We're leaving those in Egypt. The blood, yes, we know it saved us. It was the blood of the lamb. All those things that were brought to remember, it was just not a recounting of facts. It was connecting emotion with an emotion. When they took those things, they felt it. And today, there'll be people that will take the Lord's Supper with no emotion connected to it. It's ritual. And we'll talk about that at the close. It's taking the Lord's Supper in an unworthy manner. Do not connect emotion from the motion today. That's ritual. When the Bible says to remember the Hebraic mind, it was to recapture the essence of the event. That's why God made it so detailed. Get this, put this salt on here. He gave them the exact details for the Passover so they would remember. It would connect them through the symbols. And today we get connected through these symbols to really go back and recapture the essence of an event. In verse 26, 1 Corinthians 11, For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death. And do you ever think about the second coming being included in the Lord's Supper? Look at it. What does it say? Until he comes. Believers identify with Jesus' sacrifice. Many people in the world say, Jesus isn't coming back. That's some crazy Bible story about Jesus coming back and all of that. Listen, the first time Jesus came, people didn't believe it. And the second time he's coming back, people still mock it today. They mock Jesus then. They mock it today. You're a bunch of backwoods, ignorant people. Believe in the Bible, Jesus is coming back to take us. Dear friend, if you look at the God of the Bible, first revealed in Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. If you look at Elohim and see a plural understanding, not of three gods, but one God revealed in Father, Son, and Spirit, as it records it in Genesis all the way through, you'll understand that if God says he's going to come back and take us with him, that he's going to do it. God cannot lie. Titus 1-2 tells us God cannot lie, and God will not lie. He's perfect. He's righteous. He's holy. It's impossible for God to sin. He is coming back, and we as believers are called to proclaim what, is, what we're proclaiming today until he does come back. And so, far as I know, he hadn't come back yet. When he does, we will know it, won't we? We'll blast off out of here. But until then, he says, proclaim it. So you and I have an obligation to not be uh, secret service believers, but to share, to be a blessing, to share the truth and share it in love, to not be silenced by fear, to not be silenced by political correctness, to not be silenced by those people we know around us that totally disagree with us. Speak the truth. Have an answer for everyone that asks a reason of the hope that is in you. 1 Peter 3, 15 and 16. 
Sanctify the Lord God in your heart. Be ready always to give an answer for the hope you have in you. God wants us to do that. How else will I know God is real in our lives? And so we go forward, we do that, and the Word of God says, and this is where we have to park for a moment. Therefore, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and blood of the Lord. Here's what this is about. They were doing that in the church at Corinth. They were desecrating the service. It became such a me thing that they lost the essence of what it's about. So Paul writes and said, okay, you better understand this, what an unworthy manner is. Unworthy manner is ritual. Just to take it and do it because you're supposed to do it. Or you don't want your neighbor to think, why didn't they do it? So you take it and do it. Once again, I will lead you through what I believe is a biblical way through the Holy Spirit to connect the motion of doing it with the emotion of what took place then. God wants us to truly remember what he's done. Why? Why is, why is that important? It's important because in a world that's dominated by all kinds of news, where we have instant access to a million different things, where we're running in a hundred million different directions, we need to be brought back to the one fundamental thing that changed all of eternity, what Jesus has done, and remembering what he has done. And so we come back, we cry out all the other things, we give the Holy Spirit freedom to sweep our minds clean and go back to remember what he did. Because even though we can cognitively and intellectually go back in our minds and say, yeah, this is what Jesus did, he wants us to connect the motion with emotion, to look at it to praise him when we're doing it, to thank him for what he has done. If you don't, you're taking it in an unworthy manner. What else is an unworthy manner? Unrepentant sin is an unworthy manner. If today you have something in your mind or heart that you know is wrong before God, I won't have to point them out, there's only a trillion, right? But you know in your heart, say, you know, I'm going to get that right one day. Let me say this to you. Look at Israel. Look what God has to say about what they did. Postponed obedience is rebellion. And if you are here today postponing what you know you're supposed to do before God, you are in rebellion at God, period. I'd like to pretty it up. I could put a bow on it. There's no way to pretty it up. That's what it is. And so even now, as we come and get ready to do that, let me say this. If you take it in an unworthy manner, you're guilty of sinning against the body and blood of the Lord. You're guilty of it. What does it mean? It means you've taken it in such a way that it's not the bread we give or the juice we give that you're sinning against. No more than it would be a wedding ring that's thrown to the ground and stepped on and spit upon or a flag that's thrown on the ground and lit on fire or part of the World Trade Center that you may have as a remembrance that people kick and mock. It's not the steel, it's not the material of the flag, or it's not the gold in the ring that people be offended at. It's for what it stands for. And today, to disconnect emotion from the motion, today to take it with sin that's postponed until you're ready to do that, postponed obedience, then dear friend, taken in an unworthy manner, and in essence, desecrating, spitting in the face of Jesus, 
saying, you forgave me all my sins, but I can't get this right. I won't let you be the Lord over that in my life. And believers are called to let the Lord be the Lord of their lives and begin to change us from the inside out. We're a new creation. So as pastors come forward right now, we're not going to wait long. I want you to think about anything in your life that God has said, you need to get rid of that. This is wrong. You need to get rid of it. Don't postpone obedience because you'll take the supper and rebellion. Where you sit or where you come forward, you can pray and just deal with it and get it done. You'll find a weight released from you like you can't believe. Secondly, today, you can take the supper having believed what Jesus Christ has done for you, friend. You can do that. As best as you understand, you know that biblical Christianity, what Jesus did, is different than religion. He loved you. He went to the cross, even though I wondered if Satan thought he'd ever pull it through because of who we are, but he did. He proved his love. He took my sins and yours to the cross. He paid the price, bled and died, rose from the tomb three days later, and offers eternal life as a gift for you to receive. Then... After you receive Christ, you obey him out of thankfulness and gratefulness and out of obedience for all of what he has done for you. Not to get to heaven, but because we already are going there. That's the difference. You serve him out of love. You serve him out of respect. You serve him because he's worthy as Lord. If you haven't made that decision yet, whether you're listening at home or on the beach, whether you're listening in here, you can do that today and receive this with the greatest, greatest grateful heart. If you're looking for a church home, we have new members class that's even meeting today. I think there's 20-some-odd folks in there. We'll have another one starting up. You come up today as a candidate for membership. We'd love to receive you today. Just simply come forward. We'll hear your decision. We'll be blessed for it. I'm going to ask you to stand. Terry, we're not waiting long. You come and respond as God has spoken truth through the Spirit of God right into your heart.